Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to have a countdown of the five things that only a parent raising an anxious child would understand. And I'm hoping that as I do this countdown, I'm also helping you understand the things that it's okay that you're doing and things that you should be doing because they're really going to help you raise an anxious child. So there is some advice tucked in to this episode, but it's kind of a David Letterman countdown type of style. So I thought this would be good because a lot of times how we parent is so different than how our friends parent or how our relatives parent or our siblings parent. And it it can be kind of a lonely experience because people want to pipe in and tell you how you should parent, or they might say, gosh, well, we don't have to do that. Or we don't do that. Or what's going on with you guys. And it can make you second guess your parenting for sure. And that's partly why I created my private Facebook group because you're not alone. And if you think that you are, go to facebook.com backslash groups backslash AT Parenting Anxious Kids, and you're going to meet over 4,000 other parents who are exactly like you. Speak your language, have your struggles, totally get it. Because it's not that you are by yourself. It's just raising anxious kids can feel very isolating. So I wanted to get into it to let you know that you're not alone. And these are the four things that we are all doing or should be doing because it's actually very helpful to raise our anxious kids. So starting out with number four is the need to plan. So if you weren't a planner before you had children with anxiety, guess what? You are now (laughs) because your kids will make you that way. Because try doing something spontaneously. How does that work for you? Probably not good. Maybe good for you, but then you're probably uh, the only one. (laughs) Because if you have anxious kids, they want to know the who, what, and when of everything. And so they train you to preview everything that's happening. Now, that's not really a bad thing. There is And I'm going to go into kind of my opinions about each thing as I go through the countdown. So there's going to be some little suggestions and advice along the way. But I do feel like previewing is kind of like the clinical term is what we call it is really, really good because anxious kids just need to see what's coming. They don't like a very um, spontaneous, unknown day ahead of them, or if you're going to be doing a trip, they want to know everything. So I find that I tell my kids play by play of everything and your kids will have you well-trained by the time they're school-aged. So you do this without thinking. And so when I drop my kids off at school, like this morning, dropping them off at school and automatically I'm saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm coming at two today because I'm volunteering in so-and-so's class because I'm not giving you my kids' names. And then I'm going to be there and I'm going to pick you guys up. And then so-and-so has an appointment at five. 
and so and so has a dance at this time and we're going to have dinner at this time and I'll see you guys later. Love you. Bye. I do that every day and I don't do it because I'm consciously thinking, oh, I should tell them exactly what's going to be happening. It's just become part of our routine. When we go on vacations, I give them a play by play. Today, we're going on the airplane and then tomorrow we're going to wake up at the hotel and then blah, blah, blah. Now, some kids, and you have to know your kids, that can be too much. And so for some kids, you might only tell them what's happening that day if you're on a vacation or something and not the whole week. I like to give my kids a big summary. They handle that well. They like to know what's coming. It gets them excited. Now, having said that, you don't want to preview things that are scary. And that's kind of the antithesis of this. Tell your kids everything. So those of us that have anxious kids learn to not tell our kids about the doctor appointment a month away or about the shot they're going to have to get in a week or the tooth that's going to have to be extracted in two weeks. No, we don't tell them that. (laughs) We wait until a few hours before so that we don't have to deal with the drama that will ensue for literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week until that appointment happens, right? You totally get this, don't you? No, we want them to have a little bit of preparation time because it's very cruel to just drag somebody right into a doctor's office and be like, oh, by the way, your teeth are being pulled today. Surprise. No, but there is no point in having a child suffer for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for an extended period of time until their appointment. So we typically wait, depending on what it is, a few hours before the appointment. If it's something big and major, like a surgery, it might be, you might tell them a little bit sooner and give them more time to prepare, but there is a balancing act that happens with bad things that we're planning. So that's where the need to plan comes in, but there's other things too under this category. So we're planners of what could possibly go wrong. How many of you have these things in your purse? Well, if you're a woman, (laughs) I don't know. If you're a man, you probably don't carry this stuff around. But us women, we plan, right? And if we have an anxious kid, we plan for a lot. So you will find on any given day in my purse, and I bet these are in your purse too, I have Band-Aids. Do you? Now, people who don't have anxious kids may not think that they have to have Band-Aids on them at all times, especially if they don't have a toddler who demands band-aids because that's developmentally appropriate. But if you have anxious kids, you carry band-aids until they're like 25. (laughs) So band-aids, wet wipes. Oh my gosh. If their clothes get dirty or their hands get dirty, good luck with that. That could ruin an entire day if you're not going home. So you're probably going to have some wet wipes. This is going to sound really weird, but I carry a little plastic bag in my purse because I really don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. That might be for the dog's poop when I walk around with the dog. I have no idea, but it's in there just in case someone's going to throw up because my kids are permanently anxious about throwing up. And a lot of times when they're at home and they say, I feel nauseous because of my attempt to do exposure therapy. If they say, I feel like I'm going to be sick, I'll say, well, then just go throw up, go throw up in the trash can. So that's partly why I keep a trash bag. I also have Motrin. Because God forbid there's an ache or a pain, my kids are not going to be able to move past that. And so I have chewable Motrin in my purse and I have antacid because I have kids with upset stomach 
And my oldest does genuinely get really bad reflux, which is attached to kind of her anxiety and antacid definitely helps her. Lastly, I bet you have this too. Maybe you don't, but I have survivor games on my phone. (laughs) Not like the show survivor, but like survivor, like help me survive. (laughs) So yeah, if my child is freaking out because there's a crowd or there's a line and they can't handle it, I put them in a nice quiet corner and I give them my phone and they can play a game on my phone and that tends to reset them and ground them. So those are the ways that we plan. What's in your wallet? <laughs> Isn't that a commercial? What's in your purse as, an, as a mom or a dad to an anxious child? So moving on in my countdown. Number three, the importance of celebrating the small things. So this is probably a really weird one. And you're kind of like, wait, what? But when you're a parent to kids with anxiety or OCD, you really have to learn to celebrate the small victories, the little enjoyments. And so there's things that we celebrate that other people don't celebrate. I'll give you an example. Last night I was sitting there and it was bedtime and we had a little bit of drama as far as my youngest going to bed and she would not go to sleep, and I was doing my nice calm mom approach, and then dad piped in with his grizzly bear approach, and then I sat on the couch feeling really guilty and sad because I didn't 100% like the grizzly bear approach. Do you have that issue at home too? Sometimes it's hard as partners because one of us is a little bit more empathetic than the other, and yeah, the grizzly bear approach definitely works and is seems a lot more effective, but it's just not the way that I would go. But then it was effective and she was quiet and I went and did, she was very creative and she found a way to kind of get me to go back up and give her maybe a more comforting tuck in before she went to bed because she's a picker. And, um, actually I did my YouTube video last week on picking and pulling. So I have a kid's YouTube video because somebody had asked about that on how to help kids with picking and pulling. So if you have a kid who's a picker or a puller and you want them to watch a YouTube video directly, go back because I did that last week. And I do have a podcast episode on that as well, but this is a total side note. Anyway, so my littlest is a little picker and we talk about her blocking. So she blocks the areas that she picks and it's really just her getting a band-aid. So she came out and she said, mom, I need a blocker, which she knows Like even Grizzly Bear isn't going to like comment on that because that's kind of one of her issues and we're helping. So I went and gave her a Band-Aid and then she was calm. She just needed a little more of a soothing connect before she went to bed. And then it was really quiet. And I just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so nice and quiet. I think they're asleep. And I just bathed in the quiet for a little while and I soaked up the moment and the, just the gratitude that they were finally asleep. (laughs) Do you do that? So that is something that I think parents raising anxious kids do more than maybe typical parents, because we really, really, really appreciate our quiet time because when we don't have a bedtime battle or when the battle is over, we're just like, Oh, it's so beautiful. How about meals? Have you ever just sat there feeling completely grateful that your child ate things on their plate? Yeah, me too. Well, I have one child who has some OCD issues around eating, so me 
like a hundred and zillion percent. But I think that's kind of a commonality that we all have. Raising anxious kids is a lot of us have picky eaters or we have kids with ARFID um, who have some serious issues with eating or we have kids with sensory issues with eating. So when we make a meal and all of your kids eat it or like that anxious kid eats it, there's just this wave of gratitude and enjoyment. Like, oh my gosh, look at them eating. I don't think other parents do that to the level that we do. (laughs) So that's celebrating the small things. How about this one? When your child goes poop, is there like, thank goodness she had a big bowel movement. Now, some of you may not have this struggle, but many anxious kids are constipated. And so just getting them to be regular is a big celebration, but also it's important. And I don't know how many people are doing this or doing it enough You really want to soak in the small moments with your anxious kids. I have one child right now in my family who is being particularly difficult, and I don't know why. It's just the last three weeks have been super difficult with this particular child. And I had a really good moment with this kid. So I can't say he or she because I have two girls and a boy, and so I'm trying to keep it gender neutral. But I had a really good conversation. I pulled this child aside, and I gave them a hug, And we connected and for about 20 minutes, we had this great talk and then they went back to their horrific self. (laughs) They're just having a really hard time right now. I feel like all my kids are really anxious about camp and this child acts out. And so they become really impulsive and they become really hyperactive and they become really angry and it doesn't look like anxiety at all. It looks like really difficult behavior. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And I said to this kid, (laughs) it sounds so weird. I wish I, I'll have to come up with a better way of talking about my kids. But I said, are you nervous about something? And they said, yeah, I'm really nervous about going to school next year. And that's insightful. And that's probably what's causing all this behavior, but it doesn't look that way. I did do a whole podcast on meltdowns, anxiety and OCD causing meltdowns. And if you've never heard that, that might be a good one if you're dealing with this struggle as well. That is episode 23. goes a little back, but that is a good episode to listen to if you're dealing with that. So celebrate those small little moments instead of kind of hyper-focusing on the really big struggles. Sometimes it's really nice to soak in that little conversation or that little moment where you connected with your child. Also, lastly, for number three, you want to celebrate their victories. And so our victories aren't going to look like big victories to other people, but they are to us. So if my child can go to sleep on their own after I rub their head and I walk out and they can fall asleep, that's a victory. Or if they can go to a birthday party with me there, that's still a victory because maybe they would never go to a birthday party at all. I have one child who has major restrictive eating. I talk about this kid a lot because this is my biggest issue right now in my house. And we did an exposure challenge where they ate a like a, okay, it was a square piece of cheese, but like not a regular square cheese, but like those little snacky cheeses, super small square. And it was a quarter of that. That's how tiny it was. And they ate one piece because they really wanted a geode because <laughs> that's the... That's the prize that they're earning when they do 
seven exposures, but because cheese is uh, like a 10 on a one to 10, it's an 11 on a stress scale for some reason, it was going to be an instant geode urn. And so they had their friend over and they really wanted a geode because they're really into cracking rocks, which is cool. And I said, I can't give you a rock because those are for your exposures and you have to earn them. And so they said, fine, fine. And they ate seriously a small, like minute piece of cheese. And we celebrated that victory because that is an 11 on their one to 10 stress scale. So that's a huge victory. So celebrate the small steps that your children make and soak it up. Don't say, well, that's fine. They can eat this, but what about tomorrow? Or what about like next year? Or don't do the what ifs. I talked about that last episode, episode 68, about how to deal with your own anxiety and don't do your own snowball thinking where you catastrophize your kids because this is their journey. Take it one day at a time. And that's really important. So up next, I'm going to give you the final two things that only a parent raising an anxious child would understand. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. Okay. The number two most important thing that only a parent raising an anxious child would understand is the importance of being in tune with your child. Now, when I say in tune with your child, I don't mean in some, you know, cheesy, let's just kumbaya connect sort of way. I mean like, no, we need to know how much they've slept, how much they've eaten, when they've eaten, and what will trigger them. We are like super tuned in to our anxious kids. This is survival, not for them, for us. Because if you have not slept enough, we are all going to suffer. And I mean suffer. So I'm going to watch exactly how long you're sleeping. If you didn't get enough sleep, we're all going to really pay for that. So we're going to be very, very aware of your sleeping. If you're taking a nap during the day, I'm not going to be okay with that because it's going to mess up your sleep cycle, which is going to mess up your mood, which is going to mess up our family. No go. So we are completely in tune with our kids' bodily functions. (laughs) How about when they've eaten? Have you ever met an angry, anxious kid? A lot of times it's because they have not eaten. They cannot self-regulate. And if you add some drops in their sugar levels, that's not pretty. And so we're going to be very aware of what they've eaten for two reasons. One, because of what I just said, their mood, but also because a lot of anxious kids are picky kids. It took me a really long time to realize that one of my kids was not eating because I have three kids and it's hard to pay attention. It's like a shell game. It's like you're focusing on one thing and one problem and you're not focusing on the other and your eyes aren't over there. And so you don't realize, oh my gosh, we got another problem oozing over here that I haven't even realized. So we are aware of what our kids are eating because a lot of times they're not consuming a lot. I am like completely clued in to my child's eating. Like I'll watch, I'll put food down and I'll watch exactly how many bites are taken. You know, that sounds maybe a little obsessive, 
But if you have a restrictive eater, that's not obsessive because they could literally starve to death because they're so afraid of their food, which is a totally different topic. And I do feel like I will maybe do a new episode on that upcoming because it is something that I'm dealing with so much. Um, I feel like I could be pretty passionate about that topic. So aware of what they're eating, aware of how much they're sleeping and aware of what will trigger them. So I am like mama bear when it comes to my kids' triggers. I am super aware of what is going to upset them and what environments and situations are going to maybe trigger their anxiety theme. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that I prevent them from going and doing those things or hearing those things. It depends. It's something they don't need to hear. Then I may just completely make sure they don't hear it. So you don't want to cocoon your kids. You just want to be able to frame it for them, either proactively if possible, or if it's something that's going to trigger them, like, I don't know, going to a party or, you know, being out in nature, you, you don't want to protect them from everything that's going to be upsetting to their anxiety, because I am a very big proponent of leaning into your anxiety and taking small steps. So instead of having a dialogue of how can I avoid this? The question will be more of how can I get my child to cope with this in the best way that they can? And that might be only going half the time, or it might be having a conversation about it before, or it might be doing just a small baby step towards it and then moving as your ultimate goal to having them complete it. It doesn't matter but you want to be aware at least you want to be cognizant of the fact that this is going to be a hard thing for them. All right, moving on to the number one thing that only a parent raising an anxious kid would understand on a deep level is self-care. Now I put this as kind of an ironic number one because most of us forget about self-care see what I did there? (laughs) And so I made it number one because you should be thinking about it and it should be something that you should understand, but you don't. And that's why it is my number one, because so many of us forget about us. We're so busy taking care of all of our kids and their anxiety and their struggles that we forget about us. And also a lot of us tend to be anxious ourselves go listen to episode 68, the one right before this. So we have kind of this attitude. I feel like this goes with anxiety, the attitude of selflessness. And so many of us are very selfless and I don't mean that in a good way. (laughs) No offense, because I'm totally right there with you. But sometimes we are selfless in the fact that we want to make sure everyone's okay and we feel bad if we take time out of our life to take care of ourselves. So most of us aren't these really selfish people who are spending a lot of time doing things that are fun or relaxing for ourselves because we're busy, you know, trying to talk to the school and make accommodations for our kids or, you know, trying to develop a 504 plan or an IEP if you live in the United States, or we're trying to take our kids to therapy or take them to activities that will boost their self-esteem or we're trying to just get them to eat or we're trying to just get them to poop or we're trying to get just get them to sleep. How about us though? What are you doing when you stay up late, late at night dealing with nightmares with your kids? What are you doing 
when your kid's not eating and you find that you're trying to get them to eat more or you're getting up multiple times at dinner because they need more things. They don't want to eat that or they can't eat that. Or what are you doing when you have to go to school because they feel nauseous and you're taking calls from the the school or the nurse or the teachers? When do you get a break? And for most of us, it's like never, like it's not even on your radar as something that you should do. What do you do to recharge? Because if you're not a hundred percent, guess what? Your kids aren't going to be able to be charged by you because you're already depleted. And I know that a lot of people talk about it and it's like, blah, 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 whatever. I'm fine. Move on. But really there is some value to this. Because I know when I'm stressed and when my day is stressful, then I'm a beast to my kids. I mean, I am. I'm like, I have some very ugly mom moments. I do. And and then I feel hypocritical because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a child therapist. Then I go into like beat down mode where I'm like, and I'm sure you probably do this too. But if you're not a child therapist, you don't have like that added bonus whip to, to take and say, and you're a professional. What is your problem, Natasha? I mean, yeah, you're a parent and then you're a child therapist and you teach other people to try to be patient and work with their kids and look at you. You're having a bad day. You were just really ugly. And that's not fun, right? So we're all human. So you want to, if you have a partner, and I know many of us do not have this, I'm lucky that I do have a partner who will who will be okay with me recharging myself. And, and I really can't complain at all because I have like an amazing schedule right now where I am in my therapy office three days a week, although I just did added a day. So I'm, I'm in my therapy office four days a week and then three days a week. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I am just kicking back talking to you and making a kid YouTube video, which I think is fun. And so I have time to do self-care I won't over the summer because my little gremlins are going to be here. And when they're not here at camp, I won't be here either because I'll be in my practice. So the summer will be a little bit harder to recharge. But during the school year, I have time. And one thing that I do, and this is going to sound totally weird and maybe hedonistic and definitely first world, but I have found the beauty of floating. Do you know what floating is? I don't know if you have one near you but there are like these float tanks. So in Arizona, there's, there's a company called true rest. And I don't, I've seen them in other States too, but they have different names and they're like these deprivation tanks, which can sound really scary and horrible. But anyway, it's like this, uh, salt water tank and you go in it and then you float on top of the water. And there's so much salt in there that you float on top. And you can not have the light on. So it's kind of like a clam. If you think of a clam, it shuts. Now I am completely claustrophobic. So the first time this happened, it was not very good because I had a little panic attack because I I was going to try it without the light on, (laughs) which was such a bad idea because I turned the light off and then you're in this like little pod, this water pod, and I could not find the light. And so I'm in this like dark clam (laughs) with like no light and it's humid. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm paying for this. I can't breathe. And I'm like looking for the light. My heart's going a mile a minute. So yeah, the first time did not go well. 
But the second time and onward went really well because they have like a, they have a light in the clam. (laughs) I don't think they call it a clam, but I want you to get a visual and it's for an hour and you fall asleep. And I have um, degenerative disc issues with my back, which is very sad because I'm only 45, but I have basically my, my spine is messed up. So this is a really great thing for me because it expands my spine because I'm having zero pressure on my body. And it's also mentally incredibly relaxing and it's Epsom salt. And there's a lot of, there's just a lot of good that goes with it, but it seems very hedonistic to me. And so for a little while, I told my husband, I said, this feels really weird. Like going once a month and floating seems a little bit like too, um, hedonistic. And he's like, you know, it helps your back and it relaxes you. It's fine. It's not a big deal. So that's the one thing I do. I'm not a spa girl. Like I don't get my nails done. I'm like, I'm pretty simple. I don't get my hair done. I don't do any of those things. I don't get a massage. I don't like people touching me. (laughs) A lot of weird hangups. This is the one thing I do for myself. So what is it for you? Maybe it is going to the spa. Maybe it is getting a massage or getting your nails done or your hair done or going out and having some coffee with your friends or having some tea with your friends or having a girl's night. What is that for you? So define it. That's for me. The one thing I do for myself that seems completely selfish to me is floating once a month. It's weird. It physically and mentally helps me. Find what that is for you and do it. Find time because, and it doesn't have to be anything that's expensive, Even if it's like just going to Starbucks by yourself and sitting there for an hour, you just need to carve out time that you can recharge. So make time for yourself. It's not selfish. It's survival. It's important. So the last thing I just want to say before we go is be forgiving to yourself. And I think that's something that as parents in general, we don't do enough. But if you're listening to my podcast or, you know, you watch my YouTube videos, you're following people who are teaching you how to be a better parent. So that's how I can confidently say that you are doing the best that you can, because you're not going to be listening to a podcast. You've gotten into 32 minutes of listening to me talk because you're at this point, right? Because you don't want to be a good parent. You have good intentions. So I think it's really important to realize you're going to mess up. I mess up. In my practice, I always tell parents, look, I'm going to tell you to do something. And if you can do that 30 or 40% of the time, you're an awesome parent because we're all human. We're all going to lose our cool. We're going to get angry. We're not going to appreciate our kids at times. We're going to say things we don't want to say. We're going to do things we don't want to do. And tomorrow is another day. Start over. You know, it's like wash, rinse, repeat. Your next day can be a better day. As long as you're aware of it and you're like, okay, I'm going to, my intentions are to have a better day. You may not, and it might be a really bad week. It might be a bad month. It might be a bad year, but you're doing the best you can. And with anxious kids, that's all you can do because sometimes they're going to implode. Sometimes they're going to be so paralyzed with anxiety. And that is not a reflection on you. It doesn't mean that you're being a bad parent. I have three anxious kids and one with OCD. And one's not doing great right now. It's really bumpy. Does that mean I'm a bad parent? No. Does it mean I'm not doing everything I can to help that kid? No. It just means that they're going to have bumps. And I'm here to help, you know, sit in the passenger seat 
and help them drive their car, but it's not my car, it's not my journey. And it's the same thing for you. So I hope you enjoyed my countdown and I hope that you're having a wonderful day. If you're enjoying my podcast, I really appreciate it when people hit a star on iTunes and show their support by rating it or even better yet, leaving a comment. I said I would always share a comment, so I'm always going to end my podcast with one or two comments. And if you want to leave one, maybe I'll read yours next time. Today, I'm going to read a comment from OT Mama of three. I can relate. Three kids. It's rough. And she wrote, Beyond Helpful. My six-year-old has been difficult from birth, anxiety, OCD, sensory processing disorder. Even as a pediatric occupational therapist, I struggle to understand her anxiety and emotional dysregulation. I often felt dismissed by her pediatrician when I expressed my concerns. Other adults in her life never saw the same kid I saw at home. So I often question if her issues were my fault or because I wasn't strict enough. We've been financially strapped the last few years, so I felt so alone. Even with my clinical knowledge, I felt like I was barely keeping my head above water with her. Finding these podcasts has been an unbelievable answer to prayer. Natasha hits the nail on the head perfectly. She describes so much of what we struggle with daily. I've learned more in these podcasts than I have in the thousands we've spent on therapy so far this year. We're just beginning to really understand and fill our toolbox with effective coping strategies. I signed up for her e-course and I'm loving it. I seriously cannot believe these podcasts and YouTube videos are for free. Thank you so much for igniting some hope and encouragement back into our lives. We are ready to crush anxiety and OCD. Thank you so much for that great review. I really appreciate it. And that's my goal. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there who cannot afford therapy, don't have access to therapy, especially when it comes to anxiety and even more so with OCD. And so that's why I make my online classes. And I know sometimes my online classes are, you know, people can't even afford that. And so that's why I make these podcasts and YouTube videos, because I feel like no family and no child should not have access to resources because either it's not available or they financially can't afford it. So I hope you find a sparkle in every day and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.